Bulimia sucks, but you don't, and here's why. The Bulimia Sucks podcast with Kate Hudson Hall will teach you how to begin breaking through the multitude of thoughts, feelings, triggers, and urges to empower yourself to change your painful behaviors completely. You will hear proven strategies and solutions to help you in your recovery, including real interviews with real people. Kate has just released a new best-selling book called Anxiety Hacks with proven techniques, tools, and tips to calm this. Check it out now on Amazon. And now... Another episode of Bulimia Sucks, the podcast. Hello and welcome to Bulimia Sucks. I'm your host, Kate Hudson-Hall, and thank you so much for listening. Now, this is a platform for people to share relatable and uplifting and inspiring conversations based on bulimia and anorexia and other eating disorders and episodes include their personal stories of where they are now and their difficult journeys and their steps taken into recovery and then also to professionals who work with people with eating disorders. Now my audiobook Bulimia Sucks is now live on Audible, Amazon and iTunes and if you'd be interested and you'd like a free copy of this then please email me at katehudsonhall at gmail.com. And the other thing that I'm very excited about is that I have been making coloring books and they are out now on Amazon and they are stress relieving coloring books for people with eating disorders. So there's one for bulimia, one for anorexia, and one for binge eating. And there are 35 relaxing, easy to color mandala patterns with beautiful, inspiring quotes of wisdom. And then there's added motivational questions to guide you forward in your recovery. So if you would like more information or to find these on Amazon. If you put my name, Kate Hudson Hall, into Amazon, then it they'll come up. And then there is also exactly the same as the others, but an anxiety relief coloring book. So which you can find in the same place. So check them out, see what you think. And I'd love to hear what you think. So let me know. Now our guest today, I'm very excited, is Francesca Method. Now, Francesca comes from a background in corporate finance and is now turned registered dietitian to be. It's very exciting. So after taking a step back during last year, during COVID, and she re-examined her career and she realized She's been wrestling with disordered eating for roughly 12 years of her life. So through working with dietitians and a therapist, Francesca embarked on a, a healing journey and in recovery decided to alter the course of her life and career to now serve those struggling with the same battles in conjunction with being a full-time student, Francesca is also the podcast host of Kaleidoscope FM, where she shares tips, tools, and guest speakers to help anyone struggling with disordered eating. So, Francesca, welcome to the podcast. 
Oh, thank you so much for having me here. I'm so excited. I was telling you right before we recorded that I it's nice being on the other end for a change as opposed to being the host. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. So thank you for joining us. Oh, this is excellent to have you here. So now tell us, tell us about your journey with your disordered eating. So for me, I believe it all started when I was probably 13. And I do think that this would be a whole other conversation, but it's something that I kind of want to mention since it's when it started was I was living in California and I've spoken to other people from California, uh, mostly women, but also I spoke to one of my step cousins who also lived there. And I do think there's a lot of pressure, particularly in California, not to say like worldwide, but in California to, to feel and look perfect at all times. And for me, that was in eighth grade. I live in the States and that ended up becoming compulsion, uh, compulsive exercise and extreme restriction where I got a treadmill. And for three months, I was on this treadmill after school for hours at a time, walking, jogging, and I lost 50 pounds in three months which is extremely unhealthy. And that, that honestly started it obviously then, well, maybe not obviously, but in high school, when I entered high school, that following year, the next four years, I ended up gaining it all back. And then some, because obviously I did it through very unsustainable means. And then that my, my mentality shifted. And then I started entering binge territory for, for years after that between between high school to through college and then after college when I was still working full-time in corporate finance and and Francesca at that time what about the exercise did you so you so you started off exercising to an extreme and then what kind of change that you sort of veered off that path that's an interesting question I don't entirely know because I think I do remember getting down to what was my goal weight at the time and looking at my body and thinking to myself that I should be happy because that's what I wanted and looking at myself in the mirror and thinking I'm not any happier. Uh, Absolutely. And that's what everybody needs to hear. They strive to, to reduce their weight to that, that perfect weight and, and uh, in order to be happy but it doesn't make you happy. That happiness has to come from the inside. Yes. And especially at, at 13 years old, I, I think everyone when they're young are not taught coping strategies or mechanisms. And especially in high school, uh, particularly where I lived, which is a very affluent area. I think there was a lot of pressure, particularly on high school students to get into great colleges and everything like that. And although I would never say that my parents pushed that on me, just the general pressure of the area that I lived in, I think was very daunting. And for instance, I knew that I wouldn't get onto the soccer team because I wasn't good enough. So I didn't even bother trying things like that, that just your self-worth, I think it's a difficult age puberty. (laughs) So for everyone, but that being said, then I kind of rebounded into, into binge eating. And for, for years and years after that, I struggled with binge eating. And then to in colleges, when I started bulimic tendencies, I never think I did it often enough to meet all the criteria for bulimia. And so when I actually started my bulimic tendencies, I remember looking up the diagnosis and thinking to myself, well, I'm not doing it as often. So I'm obviously not sick enough 
And that's one of my passions now because clearly there was an issue and I knew technically that there was an issue, but I didn't know how to resolve it because I felt like I wasn't classified as an eating disorder. So it was all in my head and that it was my fault mm-hmm. and that I wasn't doing the right things to, in my mind, control it. And so it, it just put the emphasis on me, I think, which is why it felt so shameful. And I never really told anyone. And I suffered in that state for years and years thinking it was always my fault. And so then what eventually changed after that. So I'm so, moving so Francesca, past, go ahead. <laughs> so let me just dive in. So you, so you would blame yourself because you mm-hmm. couldn't control your eating. Is that what you mean? Yes. So yeah. just, Which I think is, is what we do, isn't it? You oh, know, not good enough. And- what are we doing here? You know, mm-hmm. I just remember, I thought I was going mad when I had bulimia. I had no idea what was going on. It's, it's so crazy. Really seriously and wrong with me. Yeah, exactly. And, and that's part of why I didn't want to tell anyone because I remember thinking to myself that I was the only one that struggled with it because I had never heard of binge. I don't even think it became an official diagnosis until later. So yeah. it, it was something that I thought was just something wrong with specifically me. And I just never thought to talk to anyone about it, mostly out of shame. And also because like I said, I assumed it was just a me thing and that something was intrinsically wrong with me and that created so much shame in my life and I wouldn't talk about it. And I just hit it. And it actually is pretty mind blowing to me now because I was in a relationship and I hid it from him the entire relationship. And afterwards I told him, I was like, I'm, I apologize. Cause I think my insecurity with this, um, cause this was in recovery. And I went back to him and I said, I, I can look back and realize my insecurity in this area definitely hindered our relationship. And he didn't even know I had an issue. And so, so he didn't know. Yeah. Uh, and I feel that goes with a lot of relationships because it really mm-hmm. makes you live a fraction of the life that you could be living. Yeah. <laughs> and that's what I think can be so distressing about it because you feel stuck. And so. So very and, stuck. And yeah, definitely. As if there are no pathways to go down to be able to, you know, get out of it. Because, like I said, you, I've been mentioning on some of my other episodes, you don't know what you don't know. And like I said, I figured it was a me thing. And so the fact that I didn't know other people struggled with it and I didn't have a term because I didn't view it at the time as binge eating. I, I just viewed it as this weird habit that I did that I couldn't control. Like I, I, I didn't use the term and I know that some people are very touchy about labeling things and I can understand why, but for me, once a dietitian was the one who said that I had binge eating tendencies, then when, with the label to it, for me was an empowerment because I realized, oh, if there's a label for it, it means other people struggle with this, which means that other people have gotten help and I can get help and I can finally stop this. And so for me, that was a huge turning point. I might be getting ahead of my story, but um, so essentially I suffered with the binge eating for so long. And then it wasn't until COVID when I was forced essentially to take a step back because I quit my job right before COVID and then I couldn't <laughs> find another job. But I actually mentioned in one of my episodes, it was my saving grace because without the forced step back to, yeah. to work on myself and with dietitians, because at the time what started it was I was working with a dietitian to try to lose weight because that is 
always, always been my goal for years and years, which also kept me in the binge cycles and bulimic yes. tendencies. And she was the one that pointed out to me based on my, uh, my nutrition that she could see a clear pattern of not just binge eating, but binge mentality, the, the mentality surrounding like all or nothing or the, the, the negative state that I was in. And so she referred me to another dietitian to work on intuitive eating and thus began my, my healing journey of finally and during COVID. So for me, COVID was actually what I consider my saving grace. Absolutely. Life-saving. <laughs> <laughs> oh, amazing. Amazing. And so, okay. So Francesca, tell us about, um, what you changed and how you changed your thinking with the intuitive eating and what it is. So first of all, intuitive eating, it'd be kind of hard. I, it's hard for me to describe because what I've heard before, which I find kind of funny is the fact that intuitive eating is essentially how we were meant to eat. It's think of the toddler who doesn't know anything about diets. They just kind of eat when they're hungry and they stop when they're full and they kind of eat. And, and there's no obsession over food. There's no obsession over their bodies. Toddlers don't really think that way. And that's what intuitive eating is. There's 10 different principles. I won't list all of them, but it goes to some, some things talk about honoring your fullness, honoring your hunger, ditching the diet police, which are the thoughts in your head that tells you, oh, you shouldn't be having that. That's chocolate. And the the constant shoulds in your life, which are governing on an external level, how you eat. And so, and then also the, the last pillar, which I think is tremendously important is gentle nutrition, which is combining what your body wants. And then also your nutritional knowledge in order to eat the foods that make you feel your best. Yeah. And so yeah. what I so learned the, so a the lot, way, yeah. the way that I, cause I, I've worked a lot over the years teaching intuitive eating and the way that I like to describe it is so it's actually and you're right it's how a, a young child eats you know the um they won't finish all the food on their plate they will push the plate away and then the parent freaks out because they haven't eaten the full amount and that is really basically teaching them you know within reason the bad habits maybe that we've picked up along the way um but it's basically it's tuning into only learning to only eat when you're hungry and then eating slowly and consciously and tuning into all the flavors and the textures and tastes, not doing anything else, not watching TV, playing on the phone, doing whatever else you might be doing. It's actually focusing on the food that you're eating and then being aware of the feeling. And I call it a feeling of being moderately full. It's, which is a feeling you get before the feeling of being full, which is only a slight feeling. And most people aren't aware of it. It's only kind of a slight flutter of a feeling. And it's tuning into that and learning when that signal to you has been sent to your brain that you, oh, hang on a minute, I've actually had enough here. And then learning to leave food on the plate, which is huge for so many people. And stopping eating at that point. Mm. I will push back on one thing you said, which was the, the only eating when you're hungry, mm. because uh, although obviously intuitive eating teaches that also a large component is food is a, a social con construct in our society. We, we go to someone's birthday and there's birthday cake and you might not be hungry, but we can still enjoy a slice of cake in moderation and Absolutely. not. Absolutely. It's all within reason. It. Mm -hmm. Right. Yeah. These and are so, strict rules. Mm -hmm. 
Exactly. And that's what I wanted to mention because I think sometimes people have the tendency to make intuitive the principles, rules, and then they're not applying them correctly. <laughs> right. Yeah. So I, yeah. It, that is something to be said to, which I think is also why it's so beneficial to work one-on-one with someone because they can help guide you in your thinking to make sure that you're not taking it to another extreme. It's more guidelines to help you. And so I think your question was oh, what, what helped me? It was these guidelines, but then also working one-on-one with someone who was able to kind of help me correct my thinking when I would come to her and say, what, what, what about this or this scenario? And I think there's a lot of power in working with someone, especially when it comes to it, it's a combination of your nutrition. I learned so much about nutrition with these two different dietitians, which then goes back to about making yourself feel your best because I didn't understand carbs, proteins, fats. I mean, we hear these things, but you don't know the quantities that you are best for your body. And I think that was hugely helpful. So pairing that knowledge with what you want, which is the component of gentle nutrition, and then also just the, 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 the mentality of going from all or nothing to the more being able to operate in the gray area. Yeah. Yeah. Which is what life is. (laughs) Yeah. 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 Uh, Yeah. And the different challenges that come up. Um, and so what else did you learn from your your time with the dietitian and what specifically was there anything specific that sort of helped you along the the route of making that decision this is the direction that you wanted to go in so two two parts to that question the 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 first one I'll answer that I wouldn't say this is, I learned so many things from working with her, but the, the first one, that was one of my like epiphany moments, if that makes sense, yeah, was yeah. she had, I remember with one of my check-ins saying something about healthy and unhealthy foods that I was trying to eat healthy or something like that. And I think that's what everyone strives to. And I've had a number of episodes where in the pursuit of health, what we think is in the pursuit of health is actually can be very unhealthy. And so what I had said something with that, and she came back to me and said, I encourage you to talk in terms of nutrient density, as opposed to healthier and unhealthy, because when you still frame it as healthy or unhealthy, that's the same as label something good or bad, which is black and white thinking. And so when you think about nutrient density, you have to think about all the nutrients and there are six different nutrients. There's carbs, protein, fat, and then your micronutrients, your vitamins, minerals, and then water. So there's six of those. And so when you start to think of every food in these six parameters, I, because I'm an analytical mind from corporate finance, I think of it as a bar chart, which is also what you see on nutrition labels, but then you can start to realize there's a time and place for everything. So for instance, if you're going to go run a marathon, you really need uh, those, those like uh, sugar gels or something. Maybe you think, if you're trying to diet, that's a horrible idea. You don't want that sugar, but depending on your situation, these things are really important to our bodies. And that's part of what I started to realize with working with the dietitian is how fundamentally this is part of life and you're going to need these different aspects. So that's the first thing. The second thing, what was the, what was the second question? Because uh, I, I liked what it was and I had an answer already, but now I can't remember. The so second so what was, what, what was that? The deciding moment that you were like, oh my gosh, I really want to train to do this. So something not everyone knows about me was that I used to make and sell my own cakes in high school. And I'd always had a passion and love for food. And I actually graduated from high school early and went and got a degree in the art of cooking. And I always 
wanted to do something in the realm of food, but I just didn't know at 17 what that would be. And then I kind of just fell into corporate finance because it just naturally occurred after college because I got a job and I, I was living in Ireland. And so I couldn't be picky because of work visas and things like that. And I, I also really enjoyed the company and the people I was working with there. And so I thought, oh, like, this is interesting. But what I think I fundamentally realized during COVID and with, to your point about what did I learn was that interest doesn't always equate purpose. And so I was interested in accounting and an audit. And I, I was good at those things. And I had been told that, but it wasn't where I saw myself in 20 years. And I knew I would hit a midlife crisis. And I remember thinking, if I keep doing this, it's not going to fulfill me. And so when I worked with those dietitians and, and really recovered, and I feel like blossomed in all the ways that I wanted to like to actually be like a human where I can give to the world again, I also have always wanted to help people. It seemed the, the best combination of my passion and interest for food that I've always had since a young age. And then knowing that I could help other people in this same way and leave a much more lead a much more fulfilling life, as opposed to seeing myself in corporate finance in the corporate, uh, the, the wheelhouse, you know, just trying to get up the ladder. And that wasn't what I like looked for in my life. And so that's when I finally thought, you know what, this is also, I think I will have to say that my sister was a beacon of hope because she went back and did essentially what I'm doing, but now works in prosthetics, manufacturing fake limbs. Oh, wow. And so she, she was my beacon of hope that it can be done. It is a long and treacherous road ahead, but now she's doing that and she loves that. Whereas she had been working in logistics or something. And so, and she had always wanted to do that from a young age as well. And so it goes back to follow your passion. And sometimes we lose sight, lose sight of that along the way. Yeah. So that's what changed my mind. (laughs) Yeah. Amazing. Amazing. What was really interesting, what you were saying, and it sort of like rung a bell with me was I remember, you know, I had 15 years with bulimia and anorexia. And then after I had recovered and it must've been about nine, eight or nine years later, I started to train to do marathons and I remember I remember I did three marathons and I re- just remember taking those gels and thinking <laughs> to myself wow look at me you know I would never have gone anywhere near that pure sugar mm-hmm. <laughs> whatever I was doing and look how far I have come that's what came to mind when you said about those gels I thought I'd share yeah. <laughs> yeah so it's, what it's so fun so with with your knowledge so far having spent you know time with dietitians and nutritionists what would what what advice would you give somebody if they were thinking about stepping on their on their onto their recovery path I think I would approach this from two different angles. And I think it really hugely depends on both your mentality and your financial situation. So also, I guess it would depend on where you are in the world. So I didn't have insurance to cover a therapist, but I knew that I needed it. And so that was something I paid out of pocket. And that's something, fortunately, I was financially able to do, but other people would not be able to. So what I mean by this is the two pronged approach would be first one, kind of assess where you think you are mentally and then financially to make it happen because 
as, as difficult as it may be, maybe you're just not in a financial situation where you're able to afford a professionals. That would honestly be my preference because like I said, in working with dietitians and a therapist, it exponentially helps so much in the course of just a few months. But I do think that you can start to make progress on your own. It'll just be a lot longer in my opinion. And you might not necessarily, I, I think, like I said, working with somebody one-on-one is so beneficial because of the fact that they can help guide your mentality around it. Cause you don't know what, I don't want to say like what you should be thinking, but what, what might still be disordered in your mind, what you, when you think that it's healthy, because like I said, we can have the best of intentions and it's maybe not doing us any good. So in my opinion, it would be hugely beneficial. And I personally have a preference for dietitians because of obvious reasons, but there are also other people who are binge eating coaches or uh, health coaches. There are a lot of different types of coaches in this realm who, at least I would say, make sure that they have experience in whatever you're you're struggling with, obviously, um, and then have some sort of rapport that they can they can demonstrate that they could help you with this. But that or and or a therapist or whatever professionals you might need. And then, like I said, depending on your financial situation, and if you really just cannot afford it or don't have the time or for whatever reason you can't, then I would say that there are so many books, podcasts, audiobooks. I personally listen to so many different podcasts and audiobooks. I would just like listen to them in the car going on my way to, I, I did have a part-time job during COVID and I would listen to those and those hugely helped me. And I did that actually in conjunction with working with the dietitian. And I think that between all those different parameters helped me so much. And so podcasts, audiobooks, I would say there's the book on intuitive eating, there's anti-diet, there's a number of different podcasts. One that I listened to all the time was uh, It's Not About the Food by Stephanie Reynolds. She's a board certified psychiatrist. Stephanie so Reynolds. Different. Yes. Mm-hmm. Right. Um, it's not about the food. Yeah. And and the thing also that I appreciate with Spotify is once you start listening to them with their algorithm, they'll give yeah, you yeah. other ones. And, and <laughs> then I started listening to so many different podcasts and I found them all helpful in some yeah. way. So like, just like this. So I think those would be my, my first platforms. So I guess, again, going back to my first line would be if you can connect with a dietitian and or a therapist or any kind of professionals, that would be the best. If you really can't do that, then maybe start off with books, audiobooks, podcasts. And then once you are in a position where you are able to work one-on-one with someone, then go from there would be my best advice. Yeah. Yeah. Excellent. And so with regards to where you are and um, your course that you're about to embark on in in January, isn't it? Yeah. So tell us about that. I am so excited about it because I, so um, I didn't, I don't know if I mentioned this, but I had started taking prerequisites back in January of this year of 2021 in order to apply to a master's because all of my history was in business. And so I couldn't apply to a master's in nutrition without some sort of background in anatomy and physiology and chemistry, which are things I haven't done since high school. So we're talking 10 plus years. And and I, what I noticed was that I started getting so excited about learning them and uh, just how, how the body functions and anatomy and physiology in particular is just extremely interesting. And you start to have such a deep appreciation for your body and what it does. 
And so those are some of the prerequisites I've already taken going into my master's. The one I'm first starting in January is called food innovation. And I'm not entirely sure what it's about, but like I said, I have a degree in the art of cooking and like anything to do with food interests me from like any standpoint, because I'm not one of those people that love food because it like brings people together, which I think is great. Don't get me wrong, but I'm one of those people that I think is fascinating because of it's connected to everything, politics, language, culture, history, geography, the economy, like everything you can relate to food in some way, technology, innovation. And so I'm, I'm really excited with like everything I'm going to learn. I'm going to learn like food innovation and then how nutrition applies to anatomy and physiology and then like metabolism, all those different things. Mm, so mm. I'm really excited. And so how long will it take you? So I start the prerequisites for this master's in January and then I'll go well, I'll start in fall and then that'll be another two years. So, and then after that in the States, you need to complete a national exam and then also get state license. So I'm looking at probably another three years from now and I already have been taking prerequisites for almost a year. So it's essentially (laughs) just completely changing my degree. Uh, But so it's a road ahead, but I'm still really excited. Yeah, amazing. And what, what is it that you're most looking forward to once you've, once you've qualified? I've always wanted to own my own business. And I think the prospect of owning my own business and doing what I want, but being able to help people, that just sounds like the trifecta for me because I'll know that I'll be doing things on my own terms, but in a way that is still giving so much information and knowledge and help to, to those people um, around me and who I can work with. That is the goal anyway. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. So what, what advice would you give somebody that had, a, uh, had disordered eating right now? Apart from what we obviously already spoke about. So I don't know to what extent someone would be comfortable doing this, but I truly do think that when I started feeling the most benefits, which is actually kind of funny, I don't know if I told you about this, but I sort of came out, so to speak, in a public live Facebook video um, with all of my uh, friends, like in December of last year saying, you guys, like, and, and I'm sure like a lot of people saw it who like I'm acquaintances with, but like probably wouldn't be overly like know me that well. And even people that did know me well, didn't know about this. Cause like I said, I only confined in one person and that person wasn't able to help me, but I said, I've had disordered eating, yada, yada. And I did that with the sole intention at the time to, to let other people know that this is something, cause I think it's something more common with depression nowadays. And I don't want to take the spotlight off of that, but I don't hear people coming forward and saying I've had disordered eating, at least uh, you, you hear actors and people like of the public like that, but not m- maybe friends or family coming up publicly. And so I thought if I were to do that, if other people are struggling with it, it might make them, feel confident yeah. enough to step forward and get help. And so I did that. And what I noticed afterwards was in just speaking about it publicly, I felt like I was shedding a skin and I, I no longer had to be that person anymore. So I felt like it was really 
two things. And I'm not telling everyone that they need to like publicly announce that they've had struggles, but if you at least are courageous enough to talk about it with one or two people, then you might notice that you start to become braver about it because you're accepting, you're accepting it. And that means you can heal from it once you accept it. Yeah, absolutely. And what do you wish you'd known before the disordered eating kind of took hold? I wish I knew, well, before it, it, it took hold, like before like 13 or, yeah, or before 13. Oh, I don't know what would have in my young mind been helpful at that time. I think it's a really difficult time. Um, I think that I wish I knew that things weren't my fault, if that makes sense, because I right. think so, so many of us, we, we internalize things and think we have to be a certain way and that it's, it's yeah. okay to just be, but I think that's really difficult at a young age, especially when you're still living with your parents. And like I said, my parents were very loving and supportive and not everyone has that. And so I think it would be difficult to, to feel and know that to your core. Yeah. Even yeah. when I struggled with it. So, yeah, but I wish that were something people felt more. Yeah, absolutely. So, well, Francesca, so how can, um, how can people find you? They can find my podcast is on most streaming platforms on Spotify, Apple, like Stitcher. I just got an email that it's on Amazon music. Uh, I don't know. It's on some different platforms. I don't think I even meant for it to be on, but I'm like, all right, power to me, I suppose. Uh, Kaleidoscope FM. And they can also find me on Instagram at francesca.meffert.co. Okay, good, good. Oh, well, thank you so much, Francesca. This has been really interesting. Mm-hmm. It has been so lovely talking to you. Thank you. I really love your engaging questions. Oh, oh, good. I hope everybody else does too. But thank you so much for being so honest and heartfelt and opening up and talking about your experience, your difficult experience. Every, anyone who knows me knows that I'm a little TMI at times. <laughs> so. <laughs> I I'll, I will more overshare than undershare usually. <laughs> That's good. That's good. Yeah. You'll need to learn from you. Yeah. <laughs> well, thank you again so much for having me. This has been such a wonderful conversation with you. Yeah. Thank you so much, Francesca. So that's all for today's episode of Bulimia Sucks. And thank you to everybody for listening. And join me again on the next episode and make sure that you subscribe to the podcast on Apple iTunes or wherever you may listen to it. So thank you, everybody, for listening. And I look forward to chatting with you in the next episode. Bulimia sucks but you don't. Kate has just released a new best-selling book called Anxiety Hacks with proven techniques, tools, and tips to calmness. Check it out now on Amazon. 